So here's what I want to do tonight, and I'd like to I'd like to run through this material. I intentionally, typically, when you talk to people, and some of you guys may do uh, may speak in some various contexts in here, but uh, for me anyway, uh, a lot of times when I talk, the the trouble is not necessarily like uh, making it through uh, the the content that I want. It's 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 really uh, making it through the content I want with enough time to actually like interact um, with you guys. And so uh, basically um, I tried to cut uh, some of this material down to where it was really basic and simple. So the last talk I gave was on the reliability or, or the transmission of the text. The re- is the Bible uh, reliable? Is scripture reliable? And, and uh, that was just a lot of information. So if you guys were here that night, then you probably remember kind of feeling maybe a little bit like I'm drinking from water, you know, from a fire hydrant. And, and uh, tonight, I tried to slow that down a little bit, so I'm going to try to get through all this stuff in about an hour and then, and then have about 30 minutes or maybe even more of, of, of uh, interaction from you guys. So as we're going through this material, you are going to have questions, <laughs> all right? It's, it's, uh, it's definitely this type of uh, topic typically raises up a lot of, of issues with people, which is great. That's why we're having the class so as we're going, um, just you know, think of your question, write it down, and then be prepared to interact with me about it toward the end. If something's really burning on your heart as we're going, then just raise your hand and I'll stop and we can talk about it then, okay? So we've got two weeks left. We've got tonight and then we've got uh, next week as well. So because of the, you know, our snow day or whatever we called it. So tonight we're going to be talking about world religions, the three major world religions and then uh, two common uh, kind of br- uh, break-offs, um, what, we, what we would call cult, and I don't, I don't mean that in a, like a, like a negative term, it's just what it is. It's a, um, these, these two cults, one is uh, the Church of Latter-day Saints or, or Mormonism, and the other one is uh, Jehovah's Witnesses, okay? So we'll talk about those two as well. And, and primarily, we're going to couch all of that stuff in, in the context of worldview, so we'll, we'll tackle that issue. So we'll do that tonight. And then next week, Aaron Graft is going to be here for the last week. And he's going to answer the question, um, is God sovereign in salvation? He's going to talk about kind of the, uh, what is foreknowledge? What is predestination? What is election? Um, what's the kind of the, the two primary views that you hear on that are, are uh, John Calvin's view and uh, Jacob Arminius. And so kind of tackling the tension that's there, and then the class will be over. <laughs> and then the next core class, so th- this is considered a core class here at Watermark. The next core class that they're going to do is uh, Bobby Crotty and Blake Holmes are going to teach a class called Cover to Cover. And it's, it's basically six weeks, and they, they, uh, they teach through the entire Bible in those six weeks. And so it's, it's a cool, really, really good overview, but you walk away from that class feeling like, hey, I have a pretty good understanding about what the Bible teaches, Okay. Any questions about that? All right, sweet. So tonight, <clears throat> what about other religions? Why, and, and here are some common um, mis, misconceptions, or some, some common questions uh, that, that typically arise out of the public square that, uh, I mean, it's interesting because Christianity does claim such unique things about itself that other people uh, will typically um, just say, hey, you know, how many of y'all have ever seen the, the bumper sticker? Uh, you probably know what I'm talking about, right? It has the different religious symbols and it says what? Coexist, right? And, and a, from a Christian standpoint, I'm like, yes, amen, right? 
I mean, we, we do need to coexist with one another. I mean, I think the heart behind that is like, hey, the heart behind it is this assumption that religion causes war and that because religion causes war, then religion should be either we should just all learn to love and sing kumbaya together and, and live together or it should just be done away with altogether, right? Like religion is the problem, which there's serious issues with that. But, but, but ultimately, I'm like, yeah, we do need to live peaceably with, we, need, we do need to coexist. I mean, I, I, Christianity's assertion is not to like do away with everybody else that disagrees with us, right? It's, it's the, the assertion that Jesus is, is ultimately, uh, you know, the, the, the final authority on things and that he is redeeming the whole world um, and, and that the expansion of the kingdom as, uh, as it goes out among people is, is changing the hearts of men. And so um, while, while I, I, I see that often and I'm just kind of like, okay, but I think there's another heart behind it as well where someone is saying, you know, would ask a really common question like this. Um, man, don't we all worship the same God? You know, I mean, Muslims are praying to Allah. Jews are praying to Yahweh. Christians are praying to Jesus. Aren't we... Aren't we all kind of praying to the same God? Which a follow-on common question that we'll tackle tonight is, don't, it, man, if everybody's heart is kind of in the right place, then just kind of do, do whatever you want, and it all, it's all going to uh, you know, pan itself out in the end. It's, it's all going to be cool. We're all going to end up in the same place, which is, a, uh, which is a, another common misconception, um, which falls under the category of the belief system called universalism. That is that, that um, e- even though people would, would call deity by a different name, that ultimately all the deity is the same uh, essence and that ultimately everybody is going to be saved, whatever that means. A lot of people, if you actually get into a conversation with them, cannot even articulate a proper worldview of any of that stuff. And so I, I feel like one of my goals for tonight is just for you guys to walk away with the ability to articulate these different worldviews. Because if you can do that, most of the conversations you're going to have with people in the public square, you're, you're going to be able to stand your ground. Because a, a vast majority of people out there, and I'm, and I'm speaking from my experience, which uh, um, is, is limited for sure. I mean, I'm limited to my own body. I mean, I, don't, I can't just go be everywhere at once. But in my own experience, a vast majority of the questions that I get through the apologetics ministry here at Watermark, which I lead, great questions, is... Are, are people asking things that they've heard through folk theology or popular culture and, and, it, and so they, they believe that, that they have a pretty good understanding of these things, they'll email a question in when really a, a lot of what we do is just correct their misconceptions and, and say, actually, what you're, what you're attempting to articulate is not even really what that belief system holds to. Let me show you what it holds to. And then once you actually get into that conversation with them, they're like, oh, <laughs> there's like lights that come on and people are like, oh, that's not, that's not anything like I thought it was, which is, you know, uh, where typically a lot of people are. And so you're dealing with a lot of people's preconceptions, their history, their background, um, all of that stuff. And it, and it all, all bleeds into worldview. But these are a couple of questions that we're going to, um, once we make it through the material, hopefully the answer will be really crystal clear. Thirdly, what gives Christianity the right to claim exclusivity? Like, why do you guys think you're better than everybody else? You know, what, what, why do you think that, that, that you would, that your belief system would get you to heaven, which is what most people are concerned about, which is interesting. We'll cover that later. But why do you think that your system gets you to heaven and, and the, all the Muslims going to hell? Or do you really think that Mormons are going to hell? 
or it's all, it's all about this heaven and hell thing, you know, in, in popular culture. And so, um, which, which I don't even think that that's the heart of, of Christianity um, in, in, anyway. I, I, think it's, I think it's something that we need to address, but it's not a, it's not a central um, idea. Um, and so this, what separates Christianity from other religions is, is a pretty common question that you're also going to encounter. Do you guys, do you guys uh, have y'all heard these before? Right? Uh, pretty commonly um, in the public square. And then lastly, um, man, if, if you do have a claim to exclusivity, what's the thing that separates Christianity from all the other religions? And so these are the four common questions that, that I'm going to address tonight, and then I'm sure as I go, you're going to have an enormous amount of questions, and we'll tackle those as well. All right? You guys ready? Seatbelts on. Here we go. So, like I said before, we have to, we have to, address, we have to address other world religions from the, from the position of worldview. Um, what do you guys think worldview means? <laughs> it's actually on the sheet, so if you want to cheat, there you go, right? Uh, it's actually a really simple answer. Do what? Yeah, it's, it's the way that you view the world. <laughs> That's, yeah, worldview, right? It's the way you view the world. And so, worldview, as, as, as soon as you go up to talk to someone about uh, Christianity, then I do this every single time. I, my brain is kind of like categorized into, the, into these categories to say, all right, um, I need to seek to understand your position that you're coming from so that I can understand the question that you're asking me. Does that make sense? So a lot of times we just hear the question. We don't really do dig any deeper to get our to do our homework to really understand the position that that we're uh, encountering. And so a lot of times we're you know in an attempt to represent Christianity accurately, we're kind of like knocking or or uh, beating on the wrong door. Okay, so one of the first things you want to do, and and really always when you're encountering someone who's asking these common questions, is is attempting to discern and asking the right type of questions that's going to help you understand their worldview. Every single worldview answers four different questions, okay? Where did we come from? So that's that's creation. That is, um, who, who do you believe created the world or... Um, in a naturalistic worldview, the, the answer to that question is what? Nobody did. This is all time plus uh, chance plus matter it, it, that we are here now. It's this, it's this uh, idea of, of uh, Darwinian evolution. And so that, that would be their answer to that question. Where do we come from? Well, the Big Bang, right? Um, so another worldview we, we would say that we'll tackle tonight is, uh, you know, in, in Islam, where did we come from? Well, Allah, who is all great, all powerful, all merciful, all, you know, you fill in the blank, um, c- created the world. Well, that's a theistic worldview. So they believe it's a monotheistic worldview. They believe that there is a deity and that the deity is created and that we're somehow responsible to that deity. Whereas a naturalistic worldview would say, no, there is no God and that all of this happened, has happened by chance. Okay, so that's, uh, again, just asking those questions like, hey, let me ask you a question when you're, interact- when you're ad- interacting with these people. Let me ask you a question. Um, where, do you believe that, where do you believe that we came from? That's gonna, their, their answers to those questions are going to give you a good idea um, about their worldview. The second one is, what's gone wrong? So this is the fall. So you have creation and then the fall. So hardly anybody out there is, is going, and 
in fact, I don't think I've ever seen anybody say, hey, all of, everything is right in the world. Has anybody ever heard anybody say that? It's, it's pretty, yeah, it just doesn't exist. It's almost universal agreement that the world is not, is not in its current state how it's supposed to be, which is interesting to me, especially for, um, well, uh, that's ch- chase a rabbit trail, but th- this is a question, what's gone wrong? Um, this is typically going to give you an idea of, of whether or not a person believes that man is inherently good or man is inherently bad, or if man has any kind of like responsibility in the, in the fact that the world is not the way it's supposed to be. Um, that's, that's the, uh, uh, those are the things that this question is going to answer for you. The third question, what's the fix? So if, if something, if, because here's, here's, the, here's the deal, guys. We have the question, it's, or the, the statement itself, the world is not the way that it's supposed to be, implies what? Do what? Okay, that it, that, there, that it needs to be fixed, one, that, there, that there's a problem. In other words, um, one of my favorite authors, a guy named C.S. Lewis, he said, um, who, who converted Christianity from, he was atheist and then agnostic and then Christian. But he said something really interesting one time. He's like, you don't have any idea that a line is crooked until what? Until you have an idea of a straight line. And so even the statement that says the world is not the way it's supposed to be implies that there is some sort of ultimate good that we uh, would compare the state of the world today to in order to call the world not the way it's supposed to be. Does that make sense? Okay. And so um, even asking like, well, well, if it's not the way it's supposed to be, then, then who's gonna, who or what is going to fix it? Uh, it would, would, be the, would be the pretty natural you know, next question that, that uh, we could ask. Um, Obviously, that's going to help you understand um, the, someone's idea of, of their ability to save themselves or whether they gain salvation from somewhere else. Lastly, how does it end? If the world had a beginning, even if, it's, even if the world had a beginning with a big bang and things are tending toward um, atrophy and, and things are tending toward chaos, then ultimately, um, th- you know, this is got to end sometime how what is your belief in how that does end if you believe that if you're a theist and you believe that um a, a god created the world then then depending on your level of that deity's level of involvement in creation then you also would believe that you know ultimately this god has a purpose for the world and that there is some sort of resolution at the end so um these four questions or these four categories um, are the basic framework or the paradigm by which we need to think about worldview. When you approach any other world religion, these are the questions that you need to be asking. Okay, really simple. Creation, fall, redemption, restoration. All right, um, where did we come from? What's gone wrong? What's the fix? How does it end? Anybody got any questions so far? All right, sweet. So the first one and the oldest one, <laughs> all right, is Judaism. So I want to, Judaism is interesting because even in the past couple of hundred years, there's been some fragmenting um, of the belief systems of Judaism. And, and you have an initially, so, so there's three different branches of Judaism. You, you have Orthodox Judaism, which is an, another, people call it traditional Judaism. It's, that's the Judaism of like the Old Testament. So Israel, 
of the Old Testament is a nation. That nation um, goes through this tumultuous history. They are a nation. They get conquered. They're not conquered. Um, they form a state, all this kind of stuff. And then ultimately, in, uh, in I believe it's 1948. I might have to check myself on that. Um, do what? Is 48? Yeah. So, so right after World War II, the, uh, uh, the world basically gave uh, Israel its, its uh, independence back, its statehood. And so Israel is a nation that, that of whom their claim is that, that God has revealed himself to that nation um, through Moses and the other prophets, and that Torah, which is the first five books of the Old Testament, is... There is the highest form of, of revelation that God has given to that nation. And so um, it traces its roots back to Abraham, all the way back to Abraham, and says, hey, that's why you hear, if you grew up in Sunday school, you hear Father Abraham had many sons. Y'all want me to keep going? <laughs> many sons had Father Abraham. <clears throat> um, that's my wife back there. She doesn't want me to keep going. But you're also late, baby. What in the world? Oh, and my son, who took his uh, first step the other day. So, <clears throat> baby Nate. Anyway, so they emphasize Torah. They em- em- emphasize observing the law. So that's, that's the Orthodox branch of Judaism. And even within the Orthodox branch, you have various sections of, of, of sects of people who um, all the way from, you know, more of a traditional type Jewish belief all the way up to the, to the ultra-Orthodox who have like the curly hair and they wear, um, they wear the stuff on their wrists and on their forehead and you see them praying at the Western Wall and they're, you know, doing this number um, with the prayer beads and all that stuff. So really strict, literal interpretation of Torah. So in the 18th century, though, during the Enlightenment, um, uh, another another branch of Judaism arose. And basically, this was a branch of Judaism that said, hey, um, a lot of our ideas are outdated and, and we're just not really tracking with, how, with the progression of human history. And so we kind of need to get with the program. And so Reformed Judaism um, came out of the Enlightenment that basically just said, hey, we want to retain the ethic of Judaism, but we basically deny, um, we basically deny any sort of actual historical fact coming out of the record of the Old Testament. We just believe that the ethic and the principles that Judaism teaches are good, but everything else is, we, we pretty much deny it. And so um, they stress a... Um, they stress a, a self-actualization that it's, uh, uh, in fact, a lot of these people, and we'll get to in a second, but a lot of Reformed Jew, uh, Jews are uh, atheistic, right? They're, they, they hold to a naturalistic worldview. They deny the existence of God, although they would affirm that there's some sort of like, uh, they would affirm that there's some sort of God concept that, or the greatest good that we can achieve, but that you achieve that through um, doing good things in society um, uh, self-actualization, being inclusive of everyone else's ideas, that we're all, as a, as, a, as a group of humanity, we're all growing toward some goal of just the greater good. Um, although, even if you, if you try to nail down, well, what is that greater good? Yeah, good luck with that, all right? Then, the, the problem with this is that, so Orthodox Judaism and a strict interpretation of, of Torah, Reform Judaism swung the pendulum back 
pretty far the other way. And so uh, it to, all the way to, to a sense where the Jews were like, hey, we, we feel like that we're losing our national identity a little bit because you guys are really redefining what Judaism is. And so um, there was a, a response to Reform Judaism really in the last 100 years or, what, or so where conservative Judaism uh, brought that pendulum swing back to the middle ground and they were like, hey, we agree with some of the, the principles and the ethic and the inclusivity and the, the more like politically correctness of Reform Jews. Um, but at the same time, we want to maintain our Jewish identity. And so um, conservative Jews are really kind of the middle ground between the Orthodox Jews and the Reform Jews. Okay, so those are the three branches of of Judaism. Here are the four the uh, questions, and this is the the handout I, I gave you guys that has the comparison chart on there. You can just look and see what uh, well, I answered those four questions: um, creation, fall, redemption, and restoration um, for each one of the uh, world, worldviews that we're going to look at tonight. So in creation, Judaism believes the God who is one. So they're strictly monotheistic. Um, in fact, the Shema, which is one of the their uh, primary uh, confessions is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is what? The Lord is one. Um, and, and, and so they believe that God, who is one, created the world and that we, are, that we are responsible to that creator. Although, as I just said, some of the branches of Judaism deny the, the existence of that deity, and so they would hold to a naturalistic worldview. Okay? Um, so what do they believe about the fall? Basically, Judaism believes that man is morally neutral. So they would deny uh, the total depravity. They would deny that, that man is inherently bad. They basically would say, hey, you can be bad if that's what you choose to be, but you can also be good if that's what you choose to be. And that is based on the choices that you make in, in your everyday life. And so the fall is, is basically, hey, we're sitting here and depending on whether I'm, my, my good is outweighing my bad, then the scales of my life are kind of like, ah, I'm doing good. Oh, oh man, I'm making some pretty poor decisions. This is not good. I'm not being included. I'm not, I'm not uh, you know, holding to the principles or the ethic of Judaism. And so, you know, I'm bad, but man, I can balance that back out. And it's just this kind of teetering depending on how, depending on one, their interpretation of Torah. And then two, um, uh, two whether they're actually holding to that interpretation or not. So it's very uh, works-based. Redemption, uh, again, man is able to overcome evil through observing the law. So depending on what branch of Judaism that that person fits into is going to determine how they interpret the the Torah. And then depending on how they interpret the Torah, um, their ability to overcome their uh, any kind of evil in the world is based on how closely they follow the the moral and ethics that come out of the law okay everybody tracking with me so far okay so that's redemption and it it truly is i mean there's uh there's really no um there's not a strong emphasis in the old testament let me say it that way there's not a strong emphasis in the old testament of a um, of a need for a savior, it's it's much more it's it's much more accurate to say that people are saying, "Hey, what is our like at this moment? What is our standing with Yahweh?" And so, am I pleasing Him or am I not pleasing Him? And based on that, then uh, then uh, you know then either judgment will be poured out or or uh, uh, rewards in 
uh, in the kingdom of God. And so um, even this whole idea of heaven for them is not, um, I mean, they believe that there will be a, some, some believe, uh, again, depending on the branch, but some believe uh, that a physical resurrection will occur, some to life, some to death, depending on um, your deeds. And, and, uh, and then obviously there are branches of Judaism that reject any kind of life after death because they deny the existence of God or any kind of afterlife. The soul just ceases, or if you have a soul, you just cease to exist. All right? Any questions before we move on from Judaism? Again, I'm going to kind of pass, you know, hit these pretty quickly. All right, the next one came out of uh, Judaism, and and, uh, that's Christianity. And so Christianity, and what I mean by it came out of Judaism, is uh, Jesus, who was a Jew, (laughs) all right? I mean, he he was uh, born a Jew and lived in Israel. I mean, that's... uh, it's just a historical fact. And, and a lot of people would say, you know, well, Jesus was trying to start a new religion or all this stuff. I really, uh, some people have pressed me on this before, and I really, um, in my heart of hearts, I really, I really don't think that that was Jesus' intent, right? I think Jesus, uh, what does Matthew 5 say when it talks about, uh, hey, do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I did not come to abolish them, but what? but to fulfill them. Um, and, and, and Jesus keeps talking about, I've, I've come to seek and to save the lost sheep of Israel. And so th- what, what happens when Jesus hits the scene is that Judaism had become so watered down with this legalism that had really just weighed it down like a rock that Jesus is coming back and saying, look, God is not as interested in your external works of righteousness as much as he is interested with the condition of your heart. And, and, and that the, the law that was given through Moses was given to people as a means by which they could walk in intimacy with God or, or uh, uh, be in the presence of the Lord on a perpetual basis. And that ultimately, um, and Jesus claimed this about himself, the scriptures testify about who? About me. All right? These are all claims, claims of Jesus. And so uh, uh, Jesus is really very much views himself as a fulfillment of the Old Testament sacrificial system. And he very much views himself as someone who has come to reform Judaism to put it back on the track that, that it was initially s- supposed to be on. Does that make sense? Okay, um, now everything went, everything went totally, you know, they took a left turn and all of a sudden Jesus is hanging on a cross, right? Um, uh, for... Ultimately, you know, the Roman charge against him was treason for claiming to be a king. And uh, his, his uh, crucifixion was incited uh, by the religious leaders who, claim, who were upset. Why? Because of which claim? Yeah, because he claimed to be God. Um, and so um, Jesus, who came to save his people, um, and, and ultimately, you know, we... we uh, we understand that to, uh, to fulfill the sacrificial system to atone for sin. Now all of a sudden is being rejected by his people. And because they rejected him as the Messiah, this, this uh, offshoot begins. All right? And that offshoot is called Christianity. Okay? So Christianity and Judaism are very similar to one another, and they're also very distinct with one another in some pretty important ways. So Christianity's assertion is that um, the Father... So, and, and you got to start here. And this is where, you know, 
uh, Christianity is unique of, of all the religions, really, is that uh, while, we, while Christianity asserts, uh, makes the assertion that it is monotheistic, it also makes the assertion that God is one essence and three distinct persons. It is the doctrine of the Trinity, okay? And that the Father, or, or uh, yeah, that the Father um, created the world through, this, through the agency of the Son by the power of the Holy Spirit. That's the Christian view of creation, right? So the Trinity has always existed. We, the Christianity asserts that the God that the Jews worshipped, uh, Yahweh, um, is three distinct persons, one essence, okay? Um, obviously, other worldviews look at that and they say, what? No, you guys are polytheistic. You believe in three gods, right? Whereas Christianity pretty strongly asserts, no, we believe in one God, who is three distinct persons, three distinct roles, um, and, and yet uh, the Father is God, the Son is God, the Spirit is God, but the Father is not the Son, and the Son is not the Spirit, and the Spirit is not the Father. Okay? Now, I know, <laughs> as I was preparing for this, I was, uh, there's, some, there's some of this stuff that when you look at this for long enough, you're like, this stuff could get a little weird, you know? Um, and, and as I'm preparing for this stuff, I, I'm just having to remind myself, like, yes, there are, like, there are a reason that, that people hold to, there are really good reasons why people hold to these uh, doctrines, especially the doctrine of the Trinity. And we'll get to that um, toward, toward the end when, when the, uh, to no one's surprise, I'm going to advocate for Christianity, okay? Secondly, the fall. So this is also where Christianity is unique of the, all the religions we're going to look at tonight. And, and that's because uh, Christianity asserts that um, man's uh, free rebellion against God caused uh, or, or ushered sin into the world. And, and because of that, man became inherently sinful. This is uh, the Christian doctrine of total depravity, right? that, that man as that man, not, not that he carries uh, sin on him like a bag and, and through his works he can be like, well, I can put the bag down and then I'll do some bad stuff and oh, I got the bag back again. Oh, I got to do some good things and I can set it down. No, Christianity's view on this is that sin is not something you carry with you. It's somebody that you are, right? It's in your nature. Your very nature is sinful against God. There is nothing you can do um, in, in God's eyes that would be anything other than horrible. <laughs> I know that sounds really harsh, but, but, uh, but at the same time, it's, it's uh, from a righteousness standpoint of, of a perfect standard of holiness, we're not doing anything to get us any closer to that. Okay, that's the Christian view. Third, redemption. So the second person of the Trinity was sent by the Father, John 3.16, God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him would not perish but have eternal life. So the Son, the second person of the Trinity, was sent by the Father, and he paid the penalty of, of mankind's sin and reconciled man back to the Father in relationship. Okay? Um, I, I was telling, uh, actually, I was telling Kevin down here, um, uh, you know, a, a couple days ago. Like, when, when we talk about Christianity, uh, unless you're talking about Christianity in terms of relationship, then you're wrong, right? Uh, the, the very heart of Christianity is a relationship between mankind and his creator. Genesis 1, you see uh, in the beginning God, and there's this, uh, the Hebrew word is Elohim, 
And, and Elohim is, this, is a term that's, that's used to talk about the greatness and the grandeur and the, the sovereignty and the um, just uh, omnipotence of God that, he, that this great, powerful God would create. And then in Genesis 2, the name of God changes, right? From Elohim to what? Yahweh, which is a very personal term um, to, to, uh, talk, to really uh, connote that, hey, I, yes, I have created, but I have created for a relationship with my creation. Right? God is v- in, not, not, not just, he didn't just create the world and step back from it, which is like a deistic worldview. He created the world and then is intricately involved in it. Not just in the world, but in, in his creation, ultimately in, in, uh, in you and me. So much so that it cost him, uh, you know, his life. Restoration. Christianity believes that there will be a physical resurrection, that um, those who are in Christ or those who have responded in faith to the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross, that those who are in Christ will be resurrected to life, all right, eternal life um, or everlasting life, and that those who are not in Christ or those who have rejected uh, Jesus, um, his claim to be God and the resurrection will uh, be separated from Christ, and that those um, who are in Christ will uh, reign with him in, in, uh, in the new heaven and a new earth. Okay? So in other words, uh, and I was talking to um, someone last, last week, where it was like, hey, um, a lot of times we have this idea that heaven is this like far off ethereal place in the clouds where you know, we're all playing harps and shooting like Cupid arrows at each other. You know? and, and, uh, and I think that mass, that, that's like folk theology. That's a popular misconception that's really not biblical. right? As much as we, as much as we would like to go play the laser tag with Cupid arrows, you know, it's probably not going to happen. <laughs> um, and I, I love C.S. Lewis's, uh, and I keep referencing him. You might just want to read C.S. Lewis and you'll be good, you know. Um, but I, but uh, C.S. Lewis has this interesting deal in, in the Chronicles of Narnia. You guys read that series at all? Um, really cool. But in the last battle, he, he, he depicts this scene where they, uh, they go from the old Narnia into the new Narnia, and, and the comments they make about the new Narnia is, man, this is strangely similar to the old one. It just feels new. It feels like that this is the way that it's supposed to be. So in the old world, we always had this like deep ingrained sense. It's like, man, stuff's just not the way it's supposed to be. And yet we're in the new Narnia, and this feels like this is the way it's supposed to be. And, and I think that the biblical vision of what heaven is, is that, right? That, that a new heaven and a new earth is not some far off place that's, that would just, you know, that totally be um, way separate from anything we could conceive. I think it's going to be a lot like this, except not broken, okay? Um, and, that, and that we'll live in perfect unity with, with God, which is what we're created for, all right? I'm already advocating for Christianity, Nobody's surprised. All right? The next, the next worldview is Islam. So in uh, the late, uh, late 6th century, early uh, 7th century, they, uh, uh, there was a prophet named Muhammad who was born into a tribe in Saudi Arabia, modern-day Saudi Arabia. And, and uh, he, uh, when he was... I can't remember his exact age. I want to say it was like th- uh, in mid, mid to late 30s. He begins to have these rev- uh, revelations. And he tells his wife, he tells his sister-in-law, he tells, uh, he tells some people about these revelations because at the time, 
the uh, Arabic tribes that he, was a, that he was a part of was polytheistic. And so they had these, these idols that they had set up in Mecca and they were worshiping these idols. And, and Muhammad uh, receives, uh, claims to receive a revelation from God that says, no, there's only one God and you need to go tear down the idols and then set up this belief system that, that, I've, uh, that I'm revealing to you now, right? What's interesting is... Um, is uh, when, he, when he first received these revelations, there, he had a lot of hesitancy. He, he had a lot of hesitancy to, to, to step out and say, hey, um, I have a word from the Lord and I am his prophet. It, what you see over the progression of his life is an increased boldness to, to preach this monotheism and to preach that, that he was you know, the, the final prophet in Islam. And so... Uh, Anyway, so Muhammad is the one who receives this revelation from God, and he really is. I mean, he's the one. I mean, uh, Islam asserts that that uh, that the Quran is Muhammad's revelations that he received directly from God. And so, when you read it, it reads it reads a little bit like uh, the Book of Proverbs. It's very kind of like uh, maxims or sayings of of uh, of Muhammad. And and so in Islam, the the uh, worldview question of hey, how does this created? Um, it, it, Muhammad asserts that that uh, Allah, who is the only God, like strictly monotheistic, um, which is one of the problems they have with Christianity because they believe that Christians are polytheistic, and that is uh, to commit the the uh, the sin of shirk, which is blasphemy, right? And and uh, and in some strict places that hold to really you know strict uh, Islam, they will cut your head off for that, right? Um, and so. They're strongly monotheistic. I mean, if you even suggest that that there's anything other than that, then um, uh, that yeah, it's not good. Okay, so they believe that Allah, who's great and powerful, created the world. The fall. Islam asserts that man is inherently good. Okay, that Allah created man. Man is a you know because Allah doesn't make mistakes, right? Then man also is good, and that man can. Um, follow in Allah's way, which we'll get to in a second, um, through the uh, five pillars of Islam to practice the Muslim faith. Muslim literally just means a a, a follower of Islam. And and, uh, however, even though man is inherently good, he can choose to say, you know what, I know that this is Allah's way, but I'm going to go my own way and can reject, it's, it's not necessarily, they don't think in terms of like uh, sin as, as Christianity asserts uh, sin. They think more in the, in the terms of, hey, you are not going, you are not going in the way of, of Allah. And, and, uh, and so that's how they view what has gone wrong with the world. Redemption is um, entirely based on human effort. Um, you... Every single Muslim I've ever talked to, and I've talked to a lot of them. I, was, I lived in Afghanistan for a while. And, and uh, every single one I've ever talked to, um, this was the central driving force in their life, is that I can do enough good stuff to please Allah enough, or, or a better way to state it is, is for Allah to deem me worthy to enter into paradise. Okay? It's extremely works-based. Um, probably more than than any um, uh, other belief system, and 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 it's uh and it, what's funny is I in all the conversations I had with with Muslims, um, the the overarching um, 
the overarching idea or, or, or sense that I got from them was, hey, I'm just going to do the best that I can to, to uh, please Allah so that hopefully when I die, then he'll allow me to enter paradise. And, and I would ask them the question, but do you know that he would allow you to enter paradise? And they would say, Allah is great and powerful. He can do whatever he wants. So I could live a perfect life to appease Allah, and if he chooses to send me to hell, he chooses to send me to hell. It's very fatalistic. In fact, it's one of their doctrines is this idea of, uh, and the way you hear it uh, uh, show up in, in their language is this idea of inshallah, right? Um, God wills it, you know, go. Um, it's, it's this fatalism, like whatever is going to be is going to be, and I'm just going to do the best I can and hope that I'm in that, I hope that my fate is paradise. But there's no way to know. And so there really is a lot of hopelessness there. We, we were, uh, for those of y'all who haven't um, been, I didn't really talk about this last time either, but um, about six or seven months ago, my wife and I exited uh, active duty uh, on the military. And so we spent five years, uh, I spent five years as an infantry officer with the 4th Infantry Division stationed in Colorado Springs at, uh, at Fort Carson. And I deployed twice to Afghanistan. The first time I was right uh, between uh, Kandahar City and the Helmand province, um, if you guys remember, I don't know how closely you follow the events that are going on over there, but, but uh, I, was there, I was there during the time of the Marja Offensive, right, in 2010, where the Marines pushed into the Helmand province, it's specifically into Marja, and they, it was a clearing operation. So while they were clearing Marja, and in, so it's Marja, Kandahar City, and then I was um, in the middle of that in a place called Zari, um, where uh, there's a little town called Sangasar. And Sangasar is, is uh, an interesting place because the leader of the Taliban is a guy named Mullah Omar. He's got one eye, you know. And Mullah Omar is from Sangasar. They call that area the heart of darkness, right? And that's where I operated as a platoon leader, an inf- a line infantry platoon leader for the better part of a year. And so um, the, the interesting thing about all that, um, other than praise the Lord that I'm standing here tonight, is that um, I had three interpreters that I worked very closely with, became really good friends with them, right? And, and obviously, I mean, they're all Muslim. And <clears throat> we were on a patrol one time. So there's three, there's three primary things that uh, a line infantry platoon will do in that context. One is, is a, a mission called route clearance or, or route security. So uh, a lot of what we're trying to do over there depends on whether we can get uh, personnel or goods or supplies from point A to point B. And if you can't do that, then, you know, you lose. <laughs> I mean, people are like, uh, I need something to eat and they can't get me food. I'm going to die, you know. Um, so a lot of it is, is just securing those routes to ensure that the enemy is, you know, is uh, whatever attempts they make at taking those those things out, um, we're thwarting them, right? So there's route, there's route clearance. The second one is called, um, the, the second one is called uh, uh, human terrain uh, analysis. And so we would go into villages, find out, hey, who lives here? Who's the guy in charge? Who's the elder that everybody listens to? And then you, you attempt to build a relationship. A, a, a way that is popularized uh, in the media is hearts and minds, right? You go win the hearts and minds of people so that they trust you. They'll trust the, the uh, attempts that you're making to, to build their government. They'll support that government. And then the Taliban finds that it has no followers anymore, right? So you win the war. It's called a, a counterinsurgency. And then the third thing that we did was, a, uh, was a, a direct action that you would think about when you think of war, right? And, uh, and we would do um, uh, what they called small kill teams. And we would go to areas where we knew that the Taliban was operating and we'd basically just hunt 
for the bad guys. All right. So I was on a, I was on a, a small kill team mission one time and we go out early in the morning um, because obviously you want to set up so they don't see you. I mean, it's kind of, I mean, it sounds bad. I'm, I don't really mean for it to sound bad. Um, it's just the way it is. But it's kind of like, you know, you, you get into your deer blind before the sun comes up, you know. And, and, uh, and so that's what we were doing. And what's interesting is Friday is, is uh, in the Muslim week, Friday is a day called Juma. It's their Sabbath, okay. And every Friday morning, there is a sermon preached, depending on the, depending on the, uh, the mullah who is preaching, it could last 20 minutes, it could last like three hours, you know. And, and so we, we had gotten into position. I had my interpreter with me and a handful of other guys. And um, it was cold. And we're just kind of, you know, um, it, it, for those of y'all who think that, like, this is this glorious thing, you know, most of the time we're, like, freezing our butts off, you know. It's just like, oh, okay, you know, time's it. We're, and, uh, but, but this sermon begins to be preached over the minaret. And uh, the minaret's the tower that has the speaker. And there's typically one in every village. And, and uh, I told my terp, I was like, hey, man, come over here. And, and he, came, he came over. It's like, I want you to interpret for me what the mullah is saying. And so as the mullah was preaching over the minaret, my interpreter is telling me what he's saying. And so I'm listening to the sermon, right? And I, f- I felt like, huh, you know, I feel like I'm a little bit, I feel like I'm in kind of Muslim church right now. You know, <laughs> I'm hearing the sermon um, being preached over the minaret. And, and a- almost everything, and I want to be fair, but almost everything, I don't want to say everything, Almost everything was, if you don't do good, if you don't practice the five pillars, if you don't pray, if you don't give alms, if you don't, um, uh, if you don't uh, fast during, during Ramadan, if you don't do these good works, then Allah is coming quickly. There's a sense of urgency to judge you, to, to throw you into hell. It, I mean, almost everything the guy said was that message. It's extremely works-based and fear-based, all right? Um, and, and so typically what you get are, is a deal to say, hey, Allah is angry at you because you're not living up to his standard. And so they, uh, Islam will use that um, as an impetus for people to practice the religion. And so people literally live lives of fear. Um, the really sad thing is, is that, um, man, it is a, it is crazy culturally ingrained and, and, uh, you know, to get people to, um, to get people to see even, a, even any other worldview is, is pretty difficult, um, in, in, in this belief system. All right. So that's redemption. I kind of went off on that on the tangent a little bit, but I, that just brought up, um, some interesting memories for me. Then restoration, uh, Islam uh, holds to a physical resurrection, um, a physical resurrection to uh, paradise. And if you've done good, even if you haven't done good, God, uh, uh, Allah can still send you to paradise if he wants to. It's, tip, it's totally his prerogative. And so Allah sends the people that he deems worthy to a paradise. The paradise is a sensual paradise. Um, it's, a, it's, it's something that uh, is... Uh, they talk about you know pleasures um, you know unknown. It's it's, it's a it's very much driven by this idea of of sexual activity, and uh, and that's and that's paradise for people. That's why a lot of the you know these guys that, that recruit the suicide uh, bombers in, in more extreme versions of Islam is is that this is the promise. If you die, um, if you die in 
in service to Allah in jihad, which is holy war, then that is almost a guarantee that Allah will send you to paradise where these virgins are waiting, awaiting for your sexual, you know, uh, conquest, basically. All right? That's why these guys who live in a fairly hopeless belief system of whether if I live a good or don't live a good, I don't know, but there's a better chance for me to get into paradise if I go blow myself up. So where's the clicker? All right. I mean, that's, that's a little bit of an oversimplification, but it's generally true. Okay. Um, and, and so there, there's a central paradise and then, and then obviously the fear of punishment or hell, um, is, is based solely on what Allah deems or who Allah deems worthy. And so, some to sensual paradise, others to hell. Okay, the five pillars of Islam are, are these, the, um, the shahada or the profession of faith, which um, all you have to do to become a Muslim is to repeat these words. Um, uh, Allah is the, is, the, is the, there's only one God and he's, it's Allah and Muhammad is his prophet. That's it. All right, pretty in, in, in the, in the is, Islamic faith, if all you have to do to become a Muslim is to say that with sincerity in your heart, um, Allah is the one true God and Muhammad is his prophet. It's, it's the shahada. And, and people you know, will continually say these things. The second one is salat, which is prayer, to pray five times a day. You guys seen, you know, obviously, um, you know, people will turn and face uh, Mecca. They'll carry kind of a, you know, a, a little small carpet with them. They'll take their shoes off, um, pray you know, uh, toward Mecca five times a day, um, typically in a cause of prayer. This also was really, <laughs> this is also uh, something that was deeply ingrained in me while I was in Afghanistan because at like three in the morning, they're calling for prayer. You know? And I'm like, oh man, I'm trying to sleep. You know? um, but we're out among the people and there's you know, guys chanting over the minaret and I'm just like, man, all right, <clears throat> I miss home. <laughs> all right. Um, thirdly, uh, zakat or almsgiving, um, to give to the poor. Typically, um, this could be, uh, I, I, I can't remember the standard. I think it was like 2.5% of your like gross annual um, income is supposed to be given to alms, depending on uh, who's teaching, really. And then uh, psalm is, is the fast during Ramadan. So it's a daily fast. You fast from sunup to sundown, and then from, and as soon as the sun goes down, you can eat and do whatever you want. Um, as, as far as that goes, but uh, the the holy month of Ramadan, people f- uh, fast, and and um, this is so culturally ingrained in these Islamic states that even people who don't practice the five pillars will still fast because everybody else is doing it. All right, um, at least that was my experience in, in Afghanistan. And then lastly is the Hajj or the pilgrimage to Mecca. So um, it's it's kind of expected even though there's some leniency given to people who don't have the means to do so, but it's kind of expected that, hey, if you, uh, if you are a good Muslim, then during your lifetime, you'll make at least one pilgrimage to Mecca um, that, that they do annually. And if you make that pilgrimage to Mecca, then you have earned for yourself the right to be called a Hajj or a Haji. And so a lot of the elders I worked with in Afghanistan, I would call them by their name. So the one that comes to mind right now is Torjan. And I called him Haji Torjan because he had made the Hajj. He had made the pilgrimage to Mecca. All right, these are the five pillars of Islam. If people do these things well enough, then they have the sense that, well, God would be pleased with me and allow me into paradise. That's their idea of redemption. Okay? 
All right, next, we're, we're going to kind of, so those are the three major world religions and how they fit into their, their worldview. We're going we're gonna to talk through two, and I chose these two because I felt like they were probably the most predominant around here um, to, to give you guys or to equip you guys, which is the purpose of this class, is to equip you guys to, to be able to, to uh, talk at least quasi-intelligently uh, on, on these issues. So the first one is Mormonism. And Mormonism is, is, is interesting. I, I need to give a little bit of backstory here, and I need to hurry too because we're running out of time. Um, but in Mormonism, there are, uh, there are m- multiple deities. And so Mormonism is, is, is polytheistic, and they believe in multiple gods. And, and Mormonism does not have any idea where uh, God came from, or which God was the first God, or any kind of origin at all, they believe that, a, that this ultimate deity created a lesser God, who 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 created Jesus, okay? And that Jesus is, is uh, kind of this uh, demigod who, who has shaped the world. So, Whereas the Christian worldview would say that the world was that God spoke the world into being out of nothing, this idea of ex nihilo that, that God is created out of nothing. In Mormonism, they believe that matter, the, the substance of life, is eternal. It's always been here, it has no beginning, it has no end. So when Jesus, who's a demigod, shows up on the scene, then he, sh- he takes eternal matter and shapes it into the world that we live in. Okay? That is their view of creation. The fall is that man, who um, we also are, uh, in a, they use the, the, the language of like spirit children. And so the father uh, get, creates Jesus, and he also creates lesser gods under Jesus, so that Jesus would be like our big brother, so to speak. Okay, Jesus is not on the same level as the father, and we are not on the same level as Jesus, but we can be. Okay, and, and so we are lesser deities, and we can choose to either um, live a life of, of 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 a good moral and a good ethic that that's propagating good things in the world, and that through that we are we are attaining a a level of deity with Jesus to where we can become like Him. Okay, and that Jesus is also through His sacrifice and His doing good is becoming like the Father. And we're becoming like Jesus so that ultimately um, we can become, uh, and I'm getting ahead of myself a little bit, but we can increasingly become like a God just like Jesus and the Father. And that restoration is that we can become fully divine and, and that ultimately we can also have the ability that just like the Father created Jesus who created, who formed, shaped the world, we also can, can have the ability to shape the world, um, to shape our own world, our own planet, and that we also can give birth to spirit children who would occupy our planet, and we live like that um, for all eternity. Okay, this is the standard belief doctrine of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter Day Saints. This is Mormonism. Okay, um, here's a really good summary of this. Uh, Prophet Lorenzo Snow said, "As man is, God once was." In other words, God used to be just like you are right now. Okay, as God is, you can become. Okay, this is a standard one-liner summary of the teachings of uh, the LDS Church of of, the, of, uh, of Mormonism. Okay, we don't have time to go into all the like 
Who was Joseph Smith? What in the world was he doing looking into his hat? What are the, what are the tablets of gold? Um, who are the Aztecs? Why is Jesus hanging out in Central, you know, South America? Um, is there any evidence for that? We don't have time to go into that. I can, if you have questions like that, ask me here in a minute and we can talk about it, okay? And then lastly, um, Jehovah's Witness. So this is also an interesting belief system because it's a fairly, it's a fairly new cult, um, and so is Mormonism, for that, fa- for that matter. But <clears throat> Jehovah's Witnesses believe that, that, uh, that the Father, um, that the father uh, begot the Son, and they, they kind of take that begotten as he, as he created Jesus, and then instructed Jesus, hey, I want you to create the world. And so they, they also believe that the world is created, but that, that Jesus created um, the world really separately from the Father. He did it all... Um, on his own. They believe that man is a mortal soul who sinned against God. And so they, they don't necessarily think that man is, uh, is inherently sinful. They just believe that, that mankind in, in general has sinned against God and that the soul that they have, uh, so, so the uh, uh, Jehovah's Witnesses believe that the soul you have is, is mortal. And so um, when you, if, you are, if you do enough good things to to accomplish uh, uh, what, what they would call this, this 144,000 people who achieve paradise. If you do enough good stuff, then you'll live on. But, but there is no hell. There's no idea of hell in, 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 the, in the doctrine of, of the Jehovah's Witnesses. Okay? Uh, redemption for them is that Jesus came and he died on a cross that, that did this. So like, man is separated from God. Jesus, who was created by the Father, he was, uh, uh, he was not with the Father in the beginning. He was created by the Father. What the sacrifice of Jesus did was it opened the door up like this so that now salvation is available to you, but you still have to work to achieve it. Does that make sense? Okay, there, there's no idea of, of like atonement or forgiveness of sin. It's just that, hey, Jesus has made this available to us, and now through our, through our works, we, we are able to push forward into this salvation to become ultimately um, this one of the 144,000. And so the restoration for, uh, uh, for Jehovah's Witnesses is, is, is that uh, this 144,000 will experience a heavenly kingdom. They believe that, that heaven uh, is, is uh, this is obviously separate from Christianity, but they believe that heaven is elsewhere. There is a heavenly kingdom somewhere out in the clouds and that it's like a celestial city and that um, and that ultimately, you know, the 144,000 will experience this, this heavenly kingdom. Those who don't achieve salvation um, can, uh, can exist. They can exist um, here on the earth. But then those who, um, are, are not, uh, who don't achieve salvation at all, those people just cease to exist. It's kind of this, this variant of, of, uh, of the doctrine called annihilationism, where, you're, where you, just, you just no longer exist, Okay. So getting back to our questions, because it's 8 o'clock and we've got about 30 minutes left. I want to I do, do what I said I was going to do. So getting back to our questions, do we all worship the same God? What do you guys think the answer to that question is? Yeah. No, we don't. E- either the, either we, it's, it's plain that we don't, or if you want to push the issue, then whatever deity is out there, that, um, that does rule over all the world and, and there is one God that we are all worshiping the same one, he is crazy schizophrenic. You know what I'm saying? 
I mean, there's, this is, I mean, he's revealing himself or herself or whoever it is. This God is revealing it, uh, itself to people in some really strange and various, very different ways. Okay? So the natural answer to this question, if you understand the worldviews, is no, we don't all worship the same God. Like, I'm not trying to be dismissive or anything, but obviously not. Uh, uh, okay? Uh, uh, yeah, obviously, if I'm having a conversation with someone who, who doesn't believe, I mean, I use a little more tact than that, but you want to just be like, dude, open your eyes. Like, if you understand this, this, the answer is obviously that we don't all worship the same God. Which, the next question is, so do all religions lead to the same place? What do you guys think? All right? No, they don't. I mean, it's the exact same argument. I mean, like... Um, either, either they do and everybody's totally confused and we're just all wrong about this or they don't all lead to the same place, okay? Um, and and which, which begs the question, I mean, because Christianity is over here saying, yeah, but we, we have the corner on this. We, we, know the, we, we know that we are the religion that has the way to the truth, Right? And, and so the, all the other religions are going to be like, whoa, man, that's arrogant. That's really arrogant. And it's like, well, I can understand where you're coming from, and yet I'm not really so concerned with, with the arrogance or the humility of, of the statement. I'm concerned with what? Is it true? That's all I care about. Is it true? And, and so to, you know, to really toss politically, political correctness out the window, that is all I'm concerned about. And if you guys were here the night I talked about the, the reliability of the text, then I believe that we have a historically reliable record that talks about the, the, uh, the accuracy of the claims of Christianity. So what, so what gives Christianity the right to exclusivity? Well, the fact that we have historic special revelation. All right? The fact that there, in history, in a space and time, 2,000 years ago, that there was a man who was born and he claimed to be God. And not only did he claim to be God, but he also did things that were backing up his claim. And that we have, a, we have a very accurate, reliable record of that that goes back very closely to the actual historical event. Not only that, we also have a broad attestation of the primitive church out of a people group, out of a people group whom, you least like, whom you least assume that this type of belief system would come out of, namely the Jews, who are strictly monotheistic, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And yet Jesus, who's standing here, is obviously not the Father, but he's claiming to be God, and they crucify him for it. Okay? And, that, and, and yet there's this broad attestation of the primitive Christian church who's like, we saw this man come out of the grave. Not only that, these men are giving their lives um, for that basic fundamental belief. And, and these people are giving their lives for a man who claimed to be God. And, and just the day before, these people are like, no, there's only one God. And yet this guy is also claiming to be God. And I don't really know what to do with that. But, now, but he was dead a second ago, and now he's alive. What do you do with that? Uh, well, I, I know what they did with it. That they, you know, on the, that, that they said, you're the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus said, so on that confession, I'm going to build my church. Right? Um, so the the basic answer to what gives Christianity the right to exclusivity is Jesus. And what makes Jesus unique from all the other men is that he didn't claim to be a prophet. He didn't claim to be, uh, you know, this, 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 uh, this teacher only. He claimed his claim was unique. His claim was to be God. 
And, and Muhammad didn't claim to be God, and, and the prophets didn't claim to be God, and Joseph Smith didn't claim to be God, and, and uh, Russell, or, or, uh, uh, Mr. Russell, who formed the, the uh, uh, Jehovah's Witnesses, did not claim to be God, right? Um, the, 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 the claim of Christianity is unique because the, because the man who is central to its belief system was unique, Okay? Um, I hope you guys are, are tracking with me. So what separates Christianity from other religions? All right, this is it. We believe in the incarnation. We believe that God the Father, we, uh, Christianity believes that, that God the Father sent his son, um, who was the uh, distinct person from the Father, but shared the same divine essence as the Father, so that, so that God the Father is Yahweh, and Jesus is also Yahweh. All right, that, that, that God the Father sent uh, Jesus the Son into the world. Right? John chapter 1, uh, verse 1, and then verse 14 says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, namely Jesus, uh, and, and, and the Word was with God, and the Word, what? Was God. He was in the beginning with God. And then verse 14 says, And the Word, Jesus, became flesh and dwelt among us. And we saw his glory, glory as of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. And then John, the writer of that gospel, goes on and, and writes, and, and many others do as well. But, but one of my favorite verses in, is in 1 John, and he says, I'm writing these things to you so, that you so that you would believe my message. I am telling you this because I saw him. I touched him with my hands. I, I experienced him with my senses, right, concerning the word of life. And so you have an eyewitness who is testifying to the reality that there was a man who came who claimed to be God and that he rose from the dead, right? So the second aspect that, makes, that separates Christianity from other religions is the resurrection. If Jesus claimed to be God and he stayed in the grave, do you think, though, do you think his disciples would have gone to such the great lengths to give their lives for something that they knew was a lie? The obvious answer is no. You can come up with all kinds of conspiracy theories, but you're going to end up chasing your tail. All right? These are people who are strictly monotheistic, who now have, have been so radically changed that it's like, how do you explain that change? Well, the most natural thing is to look at the historical account of it and to say, that actually happened. Like, as, as I'm standing here in my body... And, and you're sitting there listening to me, like as real as we are here today, that, there was, that God, Yahweh, became a man and stood among us. And, and that he died a substitutionary atoning death for your sin and mine, and that he rose from the dead to conquer death. And the third thing that makes Christianity um, unique from all the other religions is something that, um, I'm about to get real with you guys, all right? Um, all other religions, every single other religion is man keeping a ledger of his works to appease or to please God. What have I done today that would make Allah please me? What have I done today that would, so that I can be in right standing with Yahweh, according to Judaism? What have I done today to progress my, my divine status so that ultimately I can create my own planet? Right? What, what have I done today to get into the 144,000? What have I not done today? And so it's this ledger of like good and bad works. How are we either appeasing God or how are we progressing toward divinity? Right? This is Christianity. That the, and there's all kinds of problems. Well, 
back a little bit. There's all kinds of problems with that. One is that um, if the ledger that you keep is incomplete, why? Because you don't have exhaustive knowledge. You don't even know what you are or are not doing, right? I mean, there's, there's not something where it's like, hey, I did this. Well, you left out like six or seven things in between those two acts that you did. What about those things? Are you tracking that? And the answer is no, I'm not because I don't have the ability to do that. I don't have exhaustive knowledge about the world and I don't have exhaustive knowledge about myself, but God does. And so the ledger that God's keeping uh, according to, to, to what he's doing is going to be drastically different from the one that you are. And, and, and this is Christianity, that God has the ledger for Nathan Wagnon's life. Every work that I've ever done, good or bad, and that frankly, my bad is pretty outweighing my good. And I'm a pretty good dude right? That, that this ledger and, and that law, that ledger stood against me. It condemned me in the flesh. It condemned me. And, if, and Ephesians chapter two says this, he came and he took that away. That, that, that God who created the world and we broke it and God said, you can't fix it. You can keep a ledger all you want, but I'll send my son and he will rip the ledger out of your hand and he'll erase it. And that is grace. That is the grace of God. That Christ came and he who knew no sin became sin, became sin. He didn't carry it like a bag. He became my sin. He ripped out my heart of flesh and gave me a heart. Or he, he ripped out my heart of sin and flesh and he gave me a new heart and established a new covenant with me. A covenant of a relationship where I now have become the righteousness of God. That there is now a reconciled relationship between me and the, and the father who created me through the sacrifice of his son by the power of the spirit. Christianity is the only worldview, it is the only belief system whereby we're standing on a beach, or I'm sorry, uh, belief systems are standing on a beach and we're all drowning and all the other belief systems are saying, hey, swim to the shore, swim to the shore, but you can't do it. And Christianity is the only belief system where the father says, hey, Jesus, go get them. Go rescue them. Go save them. Go do for them what they cannot do for themselves. And, and, and now all of a sudden, through, the, through the, the, the awesome grace of God, we are able to um, not only uh, be forgiven of our sins, but we're afforded sonship that vicariously through the Son of God, um, we are also considered uh, sons of God in, in this in this deep and abiding relationship that is eternal life. And John 17, 3 says, and this is eternal life, that they, us, may know you, the one true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. That is the uniqueness of, of, of Christianity. That is the thing that allows us to be exclusive about our claim, and that is what separates Christianity from the other world religions. Okay? I'm going to get a little fired up. Come on. Hey, and the reason, the reason I know this, yeah, man, there's, there's all sorts of apologetics. We can, we can sit there and talk all night long. I, that's fine. I mean, whatever. Um, I mean, at some point, I probably want to go to sleep. But, but, uh, but there's all sorts of apologetics. There's, there's, uh, at the same time, there's also something where I'm just like, hey, um, 
I've looked into myself, I've looked into my ability to work out my salvation, to, to, achieve, some, to, to, achieve, a, to achieve some sort of uh, status where I'm able to save myself. And man, I just, you know, maybe you guys are better than me. I don't know. Um, I just can't do it. Um, when I look into myself and, I'm, and I become really introspective and insular, um, man, that, there's just a lot of stuff there that I'm just like, man, that needs to get fixed and I can't fix it. Um, and, and what I have found experientially is that as I abide in the vine, um, in John, John 15, to use that language, as I abide in the vine, then, then uh, um, there, is, uh, there is life. <laughs> it's, it's, the, it's, it's the infusion of, of, of the life and, and, uh, and, and ultimately the life of Christ through the power of the Holy Spirit that like 2 Corinthians 3 says, we are being transformed into the likeness of Christ. So I would assert this, that the Christian worldview um, states that God has created you to be in a relationship with him, that you have willfully um, sinned against him and have broken that relationship and that the only way that that relationship can be restored is through this atoning sacrifice um, of Jesus Christ on the cross, um, who was declared with power to be the Son of God by the resurrection from the dead. And that by grace, through faith, you can place your faith in Jesus and be restored back into a relationship with God. Um, and in that relationship, which starts now, eternal life is now, but that it plays out ultimately um, for all time. Okay? <laughs> who has a question <laughs> all right hey if you have a question um and hey kevin will you help me out man so kevin is gonna if you have a question just wait till he gets to you with the mic um so we can get this on the recording i have two questions the first one is what part of the bible do any or of these i think you touched on jewish is the torah in the first yep. five books but yep. do any of the other of the ones we talked about use or refer to the Bible. And then my second question is if you have somebody from say Jehovah's witness knock on your door, Mm -hmm. do you suggest entering into a a conversation at this point? If this is where we're at. Um, So to answer your question, yes. um, All of them refer to the Bible. All right. Judaism asserts that the Tanakh or the old Testament. So, um, the Torah, the Nevi'im, and the Kevi'im is, is the uh, acronym Tanakh. And, and it's, it's, uh, it's the law and the prophets and the writings. And of the law and the prophets and the writings, the, most, the, the section of that that they give the most preeminence to is the Torah. And so the, the Torah is a part of this compilation of Scripture, but it has a, a greater status than the prophets and, and, uh, and the writings. And so, obviously, the, the, uh, 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 the Orthodox Jews... Um, and, and really Judaism itself um, rejects uh, a vast majority of the New Testament. And so they just don't even pay any attention to it. Um, you, I think you have a pretty good understanding of, of Christianity. And then Islam. Um, Islam does uh, believe in, that Jesus was a prophet. Um, they do not obviously believe he was divine because Allah is, Allah is, is one. And, and, uh, and they believe that, that the... Uh, they, they even believe in like the virgin birth. They believe that Jesus ascended into heaven. Although the, the Muslim view is that uh, uh, Jesus, when he was about to go to the cross, that the father uh, came down, basically called Jesus up into heaven with him and that Judas died on the cross in Jesus' place, right? And so there, there's a, um, 
there are definitely basically what, what Islam has done with the text, and, and a lot of it they base uh, um, they base a lot of this stuff on on just popular misunderstandings of the reliability of the transmission of the text, because the the Muslim uh, assertion is that the, the New Testament has been corrupted by the early church, so the early church finagled it in such a way that it is the way it is now, right? Um, uh, the the uh, the Mormons uh, have a very similar view to Islam concerning the Scripture. Um, they believe that Paul, especially, um, corrupted uh, the new, the uh, the essential message of Jesus. And so, while Mormons obviously believe in uh, in Jesus, they they assert that the rest of the New Testament is is uh, is pretty corrupt, and that ultimately Joseph Smith was the one who brought the final revelation, um, and that's why they believe in the Book of Mormon. Um, and then uh, uh, the Jehovah's Witnesses um, also uh, d- uh, deconstruct or re- reconstruct the, the text of the New Testament. They, they f- uh, finagle some of the passages that talk about the deity of Christ. Um, and so instead of saying that Jesus was God, they say he was a God. And, and so there's all kinds of grammar rules I could throw at you right now to talk about Colwell's rule and why, you know, uh, anarthrous, um, you know, pre-verbal predicate nominatives are, um, uh, are translated the way that they are. Um, but you, a lot of you guys, you know, may not even care. <laughs> um, but basically, that's, there are good reasons why we translate John 1.1, 1, 1, and, and he was in the... Uh, uh, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. So they would say the word was a God, right? And and uh, and then other cults would say the word that Jesus was the God, right? I'm putting him on the same level as the Father. We don't believe that either, um, or the, the, not on the same level. He's he's retains the same essence as the Father, but there's distinction there. And so that's why we, uh, I mean, we translate John one one the way we do because that's what it says. And 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 uh, so you, it, the New World Translation is the Watchtower's version of Scripture. And there, you'll turn to these different passages where it talks about the deity of Christ. They deconstruct Hebrews one. They deconstruct Colossians one. They deconstruct uh, some some passages in Corinthians that refer to the deity of Christ. And so they really kind of make Scripture say what they want it to say. As far as uh, conversing with these people. Um, I think that you probably have a good enough understanding where you can ask them some appropriate questions to see how, how you know uh, uh, what their how their beliefs are distinct from Christian from Christianity. Um, I, I I know that typically the people who have knocked on my door, um, my primary uh, win in that instance is to attempt to build a relationship with these people. You know, sit down, invite them into your home, have a cup of coffee, listen to what they have to say. Um, you know, and obviously to, to be brutally honest, as they're talking, I'm like, man, you're crazy, you know, but I'm not telling them that because they think what you're crazy. You're cra- I'm crazy. Right. And so there needs to be a relationship there. Uh, there needs to be relational equity by which you can preach the gospel to people. All right. Um, Wagner, Todd Wagner takes a little bit different approach to that. I mean, I've heard him like argue with people at the door and then people are like, all right, we're not doing this anymore. And they'll go to the neighbor's house and Wagner follows them there. <laughs> <laughs> he does. I mean, he follows him there, and he's like, "Hey, these people are my neighbors. I'm not just going to let you preach the uh, uh, false gospel to them." You know, and uh, you know, I, you know, I think if you're confident enough, then yeah, there's nothing wrong with that. I mean, you you are protecting your the sphere of influence that God's given you. So it all depends on your your confidence in doing that. And frankly, if if it was me and I wasn't confident enough having a conversation with that person, I would go get equipped. You know, I'd read up on it. I'd read, I'd read books about it. I'd talk to people who interact with Jehovah's Witnesses on a regular basis, and I would get good at it, right? 
Um, because we do. We have a, we have a uh, if you are Christian, then you have a moral obligation to be able to defend your faith and, and to do so skillfully with love in the public square. All right? Um, so that's what I would say to that. All right. I have two, I think, easy questions. Um, first one, when, Good. <laughs> <laughs> when Abner joined our family, yeah. he was still Muslim. And so... Wait, are you his mother-in-law? I am. Oh, okay. That's cool. <laughs> and let me tell you the experience of your daughter coming home saying she's in love with a Muslim. <laughs> a girl that was raised in the church. Yeah, totally. Okay, so I... Yeah, but like, Abner's a pretty good-looking dude, so... Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and he's got a great heart now. Yeah, totally. Uh, but, you know, so figuring out how am I going to witness to this man? Yep. Um, and what am I going to say? Yep. I mean, I... I've downloaded a bunch of different books yeah. about witnessing to Muslims. Yeah. I downloaded the Quran and read quite a bit of it, not yeah, all of it, um, and found some areas that we could agree on. And, but one of my understandings, which I'm not sure, I'm not clear on whether this is accurate or not, is that my understanding of, of the Muslims, uh, as far as Islam, is that they look upon the God that Allah heard from is Abraham's God. Mm-hmm. Yep. And that instead of following Isaac, yep. they followed Ishmael. Yeah, yep, yep. Okay, so that's all correct. Yep. Okay. Just wanted to verify that. Yep. Second one, Jehovah's Witnesses. Even though they hold Abraham and, and the other patriarchs in high regard. Mm-hmm. But, but that's, more of a, that's more of a tribal distinction than it is a religious one. So, because the Arabs are descendants of Ishmael. Mm-hmm. And so they, they trace their lineage back to Abraham, just like the Jews, who are descendants of Isaac and Jacob, trace their lineage back to Abraham. So there's, that's, again, a lot of times when you're doing world religions as well, you're not just dealing with a belief system. You're also dealing with a cultural norm, mm-hmm. right? And those are distinct from one another, but it is a, it, they're intertwined, deeply intertwined. And so stuff gets mixed into a pot, and it becomes what it is. So. Well, and here it is again, a woman, Sarah, trying to fix things on her own. That's how it all got messed up. Yeah, you yeah. know, if Ishmael hadn't been here. My next question is on the Jehovah's Witnesses regarding the 144,000. Yeah. So how do you... So there's a lot more than 144,000 Jehovah's Witnesses yeah, yeah. In, the, in the world. Yeah, which is problematic for them. So, yeah, but yeah, it, yeah. so it, do they think of it like if I score more points than my yep. next-door neighbor, Jehovah's, yep. then yep. they're going to take the top 144,000? Yep. So uh, the, Mr. Russell, the guy that founded the Jehovah's Witness, he was, in, he was heavily influenced by Seventh-day Adventists. Um, uh, and who were uh, uh, influenced by a group called the Millerites, all right? And these people were, one of their gigs was predicting the end of the world. That's what they wanted to do. And so Russell, who was, uh, lived in the late 1800s, early 1900s, I think he died in 1916, um, he predicted the end of the world was going to come in 1914. Well, we're still here, you know. And so what, what you see Jehovah's Witnesses do is, and I, I said this yesterday, I should have said it tonight, but... Um, what you see Jehovah's Witnesses do is, is the, the form of Jehovah's Witness doctrine that exists today doesn't look really anything like it looked 100 years ago because they keep date setting and they keep saying there's 144,000, but now there's like 6 million worldwide. You know, well, what do we do with that? And so it becomes, they go from a literal translation to like a spiritual one and then the, well, what we really meant by the 144,000 was this. Um, but they do make a distinction to say the 144,000 will 
be in the ultimate heaven and that there's different levels of heaven that other people who are Jehovah's Witnesses will experience rewards in heaven, but it will be a lesser one than the 144,000. Does that make sense? Um, and as they continue to date set and do all this stuff, they're going to con- continue to have more problems. All right. Who else? <clears throat> back, way in the back. So hang on. Wait till Kevin gets to you. Um, you can practice your question, huh? Yeah, way in the back, raising her hand. <clears throat> I feel like a dweeb. I ask a question almost every week. Um, so, we don't all believe in the same God, but we believe in the Old and the New Testament. Yep. And the Jewish people believe in the Old Testament. That's right. It's not the same God. That, yeah, so basically, that, that, that actually that's a, is a great question. Um, <clears throat> so what you see happen in Judaism is you see God give really direct revelation to Moses, right? I mean, he shows up on the scene and it's like, hey, I'm the Lord, your God. You'll be my people. I'll be your God. I'll dwell in your midst. And, and, uh, and so what you see happen in Judaism really starting after David and, and Solomon with the split of the kingdom. And then you, you begin to see this like uh, decline of, of uh, Judaism, um, even uh, among its own people. Um, with, with the Babylonian captivity, um, they, begin, they begin to be fairly syncretistic. And, and I would argue that their idea of who God is is changing in that, in that historical period, right? So that when Jesus comes to the scene in the first century and he claims, he makes these unique claims about himself, ultimately what Judaism is doing is their idea of God had so changed that, that when that God showed up, they rejected him. And so I would say that, that uh, while, while we both would say that we are uh, worshiping Yahweh, that our conception of who that is is two pretty distinct things from one another. Does that make sense? Okay. Anybody else? Down here. Uh, I got two as well. Um, real quick ones, hopefully. As far as Mormonism, when you're saying that basically, you know, man becomes a God, or man becomes a Jesus-like, and then Jesus becomes God-like. Yep, that's right. To me, my question would be, okay, where did it start? Yep. It has to be a first, They don't know. They don't know, nor do they say. Okay. So you'll continue to have that question. Okay. (laughs) And I will, too. Okay. Do they say, I don't know? Yes. Okay, and then as far as Jehovah's Witness, the 144,000, do they get that from Revelation? Yes. Okay. Yeah, so the, so the, the 144,000, again, um, so you have to understand that, that uh, Seventh-day Adventists, Jehovah's Witnesses, the Millerites back in the 1800s, they all camped out, like they pitched their tents in the book of Revelation and camped there. And so it all became, here's the deal, guys, and this is a, I'm going to branch off a little bit, but it'll address your question, is that people, wanted, uh, people typically want to have some kind of like secret knowledge for whatever reason, people love conspiracy theories, you know? Like, man, I have this, you think you have the knowledge, but I got the knowledge, like, over here. I got it in my pocket, you know? And there's this exclusivity to people's belief that I've got the corner on the market here, right? And so what ends up happening is, and we see it today, there's a guy named Harold Camping in California just a couple of years ago that predicted the end of the world. And we're still here, and he's like, you know? Um, But... (laughs) 
but it's but at the at the same time, like I think what you see there is that people get into uh, apocalyptic literature, which is the Book of Revelation, which is highly symbolic, highly metaphorical, um, and they try to read into they read between the lines, and they take they will take a, a scripture out of its historical context, out of its literary context. And they'll apply it to, you know, uh, to a situation to say, well, this says 144,000. And so ergo, bam, it's this, you know. And, and what you typically see with cults is that you see somebody who is um, quasi-educated, who um, has enough learning to be able to speak um, with charisma about stuff, and someone who has a strong, typically a domineering personality who gather, who gets around him people who are uneducated and who typically um, are not strong enough to be able to say when things get weird for them to be like, okay, I'm out now, right? And so it, it, it really does become this, um, uh, th- there's massive like sociological studies uh, around people who follow cults, right? And, um, and so I, I'll tell you this too, and I can speak with uh, a lot more knowledge about Mormons than, than uh, or personal knowledge about Nor- Mormons than than uh, Jehovah's Witnesses, because there are quite a few Mormons in the military, and I served with I served with a handful of them everywhere I went, you know, and and man, yeah, can you imagine, dude, when they bring up like, well, the text was this, and I was like, actually, <laughs> you know, let me let me tell you what's true, you know, and and what was funny is um, every every Mormon that I encountered, um, one either had difficulty articulating their own faith. Or two, they had zero defense for all of the evidence that I brought to bear against their belief system. And they were like, ultimately, they were like, well, this is what we believe. And I mean, one guy, so this is a funny story, and we can end with this. And, and uh, if you have another question, you can come down afterwards, I'll hang out. But, uh, or if you need to go, then, you know, see you next week. Um, but when I was, one of the things you do in the infantry training is you do hand-to-hand combat training, you know. And so... Um, so this Mormon guy, we had had a, a discussion, and it was, man, I was always cordial. I was not mad at this guy, you know? I was just like, hey, you say the text is corrupted. Um, man, the burden of proof's on you, man. Where do you say that? Well, and he would bring, literally pull stuff to be crass, I guess, to pull stuff out of his butt, you know? And I'm like, man, I, you know, one, that's a, that's a pretty massive misunderstanding about the textual tradition of the New Testament. Let me tell you what the evidence points to. And I laid it out in front of him. And he had, he was speechless. He had no idea. And, and it upset him. He got mad. And I, and I was like, look, brother, I'm not trying to tick you off. I'm just trying to present the evidence. You know, this is, this is what's true. What do you do with this? And so he got so mad that the next day when we did combatives training, he wanted to get paired up with me so that we could fight, you know? And uh, I told him, I said, hey, that's a bad idea, you know? And, uh, cause this guy was significantly smaller than I was, but he, he wanted to. And, and, uh, and so I, I, uh, I gave him the right foot of fellowship, you know, <laughs> and, uh, kicked his Mormon butt, which is fine. I mean, there's nothing, there's nothing wrong with that. Like I, and I, I mean, I say that flippantly, it's a joke. I mean, if he was here, he would probably laugh too, but, um, uh, he would laugh, but, uh, but, but he, you know, um, yeah, they just don't have an answer for it. And, and that's what I've consistently found among Mormons is that one, they either cannot articulate their faith or two, they've been so ingrained in something. And, and there really is another uh, pretty common um, you know, deal that you'll see, that you'll find in cults is this um, authority over its people 
that strongly discourages and even, um, and even uh, you know, condemns any sort of questioning about the faith. Whereas in Christianity, we're like, hey, I want to follow the evidence because what I care about is what is true, right? And the evidence leads me to the cross and the empty tomb. And, and, uh, and so in the power of the Holy Spirit, I place my faith there and God has made me alive <laughs> in Christ, right? Hey, y'all have a blessed night. We'll see you next week.